Hello, welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie. I'm here with Susan. Hey, Susan. Hello, Guthrie. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. The sun is shining, so you know me. If the sun is yes, shining, the sun... my mood is definitely up. Which is why we are inside, <laughs> not outside. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Um, so today uh, we're talking about, we're doing a psychology one. We haven't done enough of those um, recently. Never enough think. psychology. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, an interesting, sort of interesting one. We're going to do uh, a two-parter. The first is just going to be about sort of humans in general. You don't um, mean two-parter like two episodes. No. You mean no. we're splitting this episode. Splitting this splitting parts. this in half. Because it's really two different okay. questions with okay. two different answers. So the first is going to be um, about like humans in general, children, babies, like just like humans. Okay. And On a particular this, psychology topic. Yeah, yeah. And the second is going to be sort of, okay, how about users, right? So the do same users topic thinking about design. from yeah so users being sort of adults but not just like adults like learning how to like you know brush their teeth but this is like a user who's trying to do something okay um, so what is the psychology topic that you want to discuss in these two ways it's a crossroads that we may not have um, there may not be one answer. Uh, but it, it's so it's it's a it's a it's a good one. Uh, it's a tricky one, and it's a it's about the intersection of resiliency versus ease, or I guess it would be makes more sense to do it ease versus resiliency. So I'll give you a quintessential ease versus resiliency battle. Go ahead. There are um, in the I don't know baby slash child world there are a lot of these pitched battles and they mostly are the same over and over and over about different things and the question is uh so well okay i'll just give you the example to 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 show you the point um babies and children sleeping there's one camp that and they both sound reasonable there's one camp that goes well, and and I should just say before you know you don't need to answer this particular question. I'm just setting up the. Okay. One camp goes. Um, you need to help your baby fall asleep, or your child fall asleep, and so there are little you know about the little booties that they can wear that track that monitor their. Oh my god. Oh yeah, no. there's there's all kinds of stuff that'll send it straight to your app oh. how deep they sleep. And so you you have all this data, and you can optimize to make sure the kid gets the best sleep possible, is sleeping longer, is sleeping whatever. Um, there are, uh, uh, if you really want, you can do either of these, and then you compare them together. You can also get white noise monitors. You can get things that lull your child's sleep, uh, and then if you want, they they actually make stuff where they pair the data from the smart tracking booty with the with like the white noise stuff so when it recognizes that the kid is not sleeping as deeply through the tracker that it'll kind of pump a little white noise to kind of get the kid back to sleep okay so 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 that is that is the one school of thought which is um you should help your child the second school of thought 
is that kids especially, and it's I'm sure you'll think that kids and adults are different, but you know, adults to some extent do. They should be resilient. So like don't give your kid a white noise monitor, white noise maker. What is it? Is monitor machine. maker? Machine. Whatever. Uh, machine. It's pretty generic. Um, don't give your kid a white noise speaker because then the kid will have to have a white noise machine in order to fall asleep. And that noises will be more distracting and the kid won't be able to sleep as well later on. Or um, move your kid around. Have your kid sleep in, you know, this room and that room and in this bed and this other bed and like kind of this, you know, like in a lap so that the kid, you know, is able to fall asleep anywhere, but maybe doesn't sleep as well in any one particular spot. So this is sort of the intersection. And there's a million of these. Obviously, child related is a lot of them, but you can there are there are uh, other you know other ones uh, when you're talking about um, you know a teenager in school, right? Uh, there's a lot of emphasis these days on kids specializing. So hey. Have your kids start at an early age. You know, if they want to do the thing, they need a strategic advantage, right? So have them from an early age focus on this one thing and get really good at it. And, you know, if it's basketball, right, you're playing young and you're doing AAU and there's all this, you know, stuff. If it's, you know, debate, you're in debate club, you're, you know, go, 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 right. Um, But like focus on one, maybe two or three things, but like really focus on one versus, the kids should be resilient. So have the kid do 17 different things and try to have the kid do all sorts of, you know, a wide variety of things so that later in life they have more experience or sort of resilient versus, you know, specializing in one particular aspect. So that's both a psychology. And then when you get to sports, there's like the physical aspect of it. Um, so for example, injuries, injury rates in almost all major sports in the United States are up than they used to be in the eighties, for example. And this is confusing. People don't, you know, bodies, human bodies have not changed, right? It's not like we've, the biology has changed in two generations, Uh, but there's way more injuries and especially way more um, like kind of tissue injuries, way more, you know, ACL tears and that kind of stuff. And the, Gener- there are two two thoughts. Thought one, athletes are bigger, stronger, faster, so they're just doing more with their bodies, which is causing more injuries. And thought number two is, you know, back in the eighties, you have a you know a basketball player, and in high school, well, they were the they were on the football team and they were the star pitcher on the baseball team and they ran, you know, track in the fall and, you know, then they, yeah, then they played basketball. Like, and they were great at any sport they did. They had a summer job out on the farm where they're lifting heavy things. And so they had, from a, you know, kinesiology standpoint, they had all this other movement and training where they were strengthening, they were becoming resilient in all their parts of their body, where they were strengthening all these different parts. Versus today's NBA star, from the age of six, they're playing basketball, like 10 games a week for 10 years. And it's the same repetitive motion. And they get really good. But then when they, you know, turn 26, all the stress on the knees and the joints that they've been stressing for 
years, they, they, they never develop other strengths in the chain. And this is why modern athletes are getting more injured is because they're not well-rounded. So do you think I've sort of explained this? I mean, that was a kinesiology standpoint. Maybe I shouldn't have done that one, but it's sort of the same thing of ease and specialization versus diversity and resiliency. And the last thing I'll, I'll, I'll guess I'll, I'll do is I was in the library recently. Okay. Are, are you following at all? You're, you're very quiet. I'm riveted. Thank you. I was in the library <laughs> recently. Um, and we have a very good library here. And, you know, I, I, there are two types of library goers. There's the people who know what they want and they go to the little computer and they, you know, they type it in and they get the number and they, and they walk around until they find it and then they get the book and they leave. And then there's the wanderers who just sort of wander the aisles. Which are you? Look at books. I, I'm a wanderer. Okay. Maybe there's a book I want. I'll get that. And then I'll be like, oh, what? Oh, look at that. Um, and it's just a peek behind the curtain. Last time I was in the library, uh, I took home a, a, a short history of Afghanistan, a long book, uh, about letters and memoirs regarding famous events in the state of Ohio. I don't think that one had been checked out very recently. (laughs) It's like 600 pages of like letters from like 1843 and stuff. Um, And also a very long and so far riveting book on the Crimean War. That was a war between like England and France and the Ottoman Empire and Russia. um, And the what, what was remaining of Genghis Khan's golden horde in Crimea. Um. So yeah, I'm a wanderer. I, I kind of wander around and pick stuff. And I, and I saw this book. It was a big book. It was like 300 pages. And it was a book of knots. Just like, here's not a book of knots with pictures and you can learn how to tie knots. Now, for those of you who may not know, there are a lot of kind of knots. It is one of those ancient human traditions of having... A, a string or a yarn or a fi- fiber of some sort and figuring out all the 700 different ways that you can tie it together. Cause people had a lot of free time back before they invented Netflix. Um, and of course, you know, nautical stuff and there are lots of, no, there's practical reasons for it's a little bit like dogs, right? Like there are all these types of dogs, but most of the breeds of dogs that we have actually were bred for a purpose, right? They were bred to be a working dog of some sort. They were bred, they were bred to, you know, retrieve or kill or hunt. You're or... not going to get upset if I tell you that I think we're wandering off topic, are you? <laughs> All right, I'll pull the knots back. Um, you went so, to the library. There's two kinds of ways. Well, it, yeah, I'm a wanderer. Wander. It's fine. Okay. okay. So I wandered and I saw this book. And it's a book of knots. And on one hand, there is no reason that anyone, unless you're like a fisherman or a, a ship captain or something, or, you know, you really like survivalist camping, should just 
check out, and, and I didn't do it, but should check out this book of knots and just spend their free time sort of learning all the different knots that I would, I would like one that. could sue. Now you are a, a knitter, crocheter, and a textile, fabric yeah, yeah. So the, you're, that is yeah. that is down your down your yeah, alley a yeah, little yeah. bit. Um, so like, there's no reason to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess if you found it enjoyable, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's fine. But 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 we're not. I'm not necessarily. Well, enjoyment's part of it, but I'm more. I'm more talking about learning, overcoming challenges than doing things for fun mm-hmm. um, in this kind of thing, uh, in this question. And so on one hand, there's no reason that you should learn this book of knots. It's not relevant to the daily life of whatever, blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, if everyone learned a bunch of knots, they would be more resilient people. They would have to, have to struggle doing something not in their comfort zone, learning this thing that is seemingly irrelevant. But then from time to time, they may come across physical challenges and they will would be more resilient in knowing how to manipulate ob- in 3D objects in space and how they kind of tie together. Um, and if they were, you know, ever in a situation where, they, hey, there's a piece of rope, they could whip together a, a knot for the situation. So this is this is the 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 intersection. And I don't know if you want to start with kids or start with adults. But what are your thoughts on pushing humans in ways that are not necessarily fun that can be uncomfortable? And maybe they're not like, you know, surviving in the wilderness uncomfortable, but even just reading a long book that maybe you don't want to read or working on a craft that whatever, or um, having to do a lot of tasks uh, that aren't, that you don't consider fun. Um, not taking shortcuts, not not uh, 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 hiring out to do things, having, having to do all this stuff, uh, especially as a kid. Um, and it's, 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 it's not good for the person in the short term. You know, uh, sleep, baby sleep is the better example, right? It's not good for the baby to be getting less sleep in the short term, but in the long term, maybe creating more resiliency when it when exposed to different stimuli. So that was the very long. I don't want to call it a preamble, but you know, you said you were riveted, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll. Hopefully, that's the case. So, what, what are your thoughts about this intersection and is there in your opinion sort of a right answer well generally you know i can answer it from a psychology point of view i can answer it from a design point of view but basically it comes down to what is the goal right so if the goal is to get something done quickly and easily, then, you know, don't go for the resilience and resiliency route. I mean, I think what you're describing is true. All of it is true. You know, when you're talking about the advantages, for instance, of building in resiliency into whatever it is, right? Um, And there's so many examples 
in the world of this, right? In our daily lives. I mean, cooking came to mind as you were talking, right? I can, I can just, you know, I can buy the stuff from the company that just sends it to me and with the recipe that's minimalized and I just cook it up and then there it is. And I have great food and, and maybe I tried something new, but it, did I really, you know, learn deeply uh, a, a certain cooking technique that I can now on my own, you know, go and do maybe, maybe not. Right. But so I think it depends on what your goal is, you know? Um, so if we go back to the baby example uh, or the child example, and, and I think this is a, a huge, this is a big philosophical, it's a philosophical question in some ways. But, you know, what's your goal? Is your goal that, uh, you know, I've read the research and uh, making sure the baby is sleeping really well and really deeply is critical at this stage, and therefore I'm going to do everything I can. <sighs> Booty, baby monitors? I'm like, as you were describing that, I'm thinking some startup guy has got to stop, just stop. He needs to go do something else. It was like, oh, my God. Um, anyway. So uh, for, for those of you who are curious, <laughs> uh, for example, there's owl Owlette. Owlet, I don't know if it's the French E T A W L E T, and it, it you get a security camera with okay. an app on your no, phone, and then you have okay. the FDA cleared baby stat monitoring. Well, there system. you go. Um, so and, and it wraps around their little foot. Right, I'm sure. So if the goal is, like I said, that we really want the baby to get the deepest sleep possible, or maybe the goal is we want the baby to go to sleep and be quiet and stay asleep so that we can get some sleep, you know, uh, whatever your goal is, you know, then that's gonna, that will make you want to, you know, have the baby, you know, do the white noise machine and do the booty and do the this and do the that. But if the goal is I want in the long term, I want the baby to be resilient about sleep and be and learn to self-soothe and learn to go to sleep anywhere at any time when it's tired, you know, then you're not going to want to do that. So I think I th you know resiliency is a real thing. Um, in all of these examples, well, no, in many of these examples, especially to do with babies and learning and children and even adults and learning, uh, you, you know, the whole idea of habits and conditioned responses is critical. So yes, if you have a white noise machine as a baby or as an adult, right, and you use that to go to sleep, you are conditioning yourself to fall asleep in certain situations. And it does mean that you know, if you find yourself somewhere where you don't have your white noise machine, now you might have a hard time going to sleep because you've taught your body and your mind to go to sleep with certain stimuli. And so I think you got to weigh, uh, you know, those different ideas against the goal. And, you know, that's, that's how you're going to have to decide. I get, if you're asking me, my personal opinion is for a lot of these things is probably to go for resiliency. Um, but, you know, that's kind of like, again, that comes back, I think, to philosophy, right? More, maybe more than, than science. Um, 
but I think it's a good question. And I think it's one that maybe, I think it's easy to forget about that and just go, you know, you get this, here's a new product. Here's uh, a new theory. Here's what the other uh, coaches are doing. And then you just kind of follow along and use the latest idea and use the new technology. And then you do condition the human to do certain things in certain ways. And, uh, and you don't real, maybe you don't realize you're doing it. And in the short term or in a very specific arena, it might be good, but then you lose the, the generalized and the resiliency. Hmm. So does that answer your question? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good answer. Uh, when, when we're talking about, um, you know, for example, basketball, uh, the, the odds that you get drafted in the NBA are higher if from the age of three, all your parents did was have you train for basketball. Yeah, but then you have to really ask, how important is that? And is that really your goal? You know, to raise a child in order to be drafted into the NBA <laughs> and make all your decisions based on that is like, okay, is that really what everybody, including the child, will want? You know, and I, I think in terms of parenting, this happens all the time, you know, with parents deciding what's really important is. And then you know, gearing all the education and the experience and the habits, you know, to this really, really narrow thing. And, you know, very, thing- very common. I mean, in, in today's, I don't know, millennial parent world and whether that's basketball or Taekwondo or debate or rock climbing or. Well, okay. But there's a difference between, picking a thing and saying, oh, we're going to all work on this thing just because it'll teach us, um, you know, to work on a thing, right? It'll teach us to concentrate. There's nothing wrong with that. But if really the goal is, you know, this child is going to be a professional uh, violin player and uh, at an expert level and travel around the world playing violin, and we're going to decide that when they're, you know, five years old, I have to question that because that may or may not work. And the, the child may or may not really want to do that. And you know, it's like, why are you being that narrow? I guess is the question. Like, is that, I, I guess from a philosophy standpoint, I don't get it. You know, like, why would you want to, and, and especially with something like the NBA, I mean, like you said, how, how likely is it? I mean, how many spots are there every year? And so you're going to, Oh yeah, no, it's spend your whole life trying to raise a child who can make yeah, it. But if, you go, NBA if you go to like, if you, if you interview most good basketball players and you ask them, you know, they're 16 and you know, you ask them, Hey, what's your plan? It's like, I'm going to go play in the NBA. You know, well, it's yeah, just, I know. That's what they all wanted. Or, or, you know, half of all the musical theater, you know, the really, uh, if you if yes, the really on talented ones, they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to make it on Broadway. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Unless, I mean, and again, this is, I'm not going to judge families or people for doing that. Uh, but I will point out that if you do that, 
in a way that cuts off everything else. Okay. It's okay to concentrate. I, there's no, no problem with, you know, concentrating on, on a few things in your life rather than, you know, oh, hey, I'm going to go, even as an adult, I'm going to be in musical theater and I'm going to, you know, learn to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this, you know, then you end up not getting really good at any one thing and you, you are too busy and you don't enjoy it. So there's nothing wrong with concentrating, but, you know, concentrating on something to the exclusion of everything any other pathways yeah. or anything else in your life, I think is probably not healthy. Um, but, you know, there, there's another underlying thing you were getting at, which is the whole question of ease versus difficulty. Yes. And that's, that's, this is, yeah, that's sort of part two. So this is the, uh, the, the, the making life easy versus making life harder. Um, there's, 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 there is a, uh, it, it goes both ways. I think there's stereotypes on both sides. So the the one stereotype is like the you know overburdening, over overbearing uh, like military dad, who you know there are like strict rules in the house and you have to do all these things and everything has to be clean and it's got to be this and it's got to be that and like you you know you. Uh, you know, we don't, you know, we don't have anyone who mows the lawn, like, you know, kids do all these chores. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, I'm trying to, trying to think of other kind of, uh, examples because there are like, there are things that you can do in life that make life easier. Right. For you or for people. Right. And then, and then, and then there's, you know, purposely not doing those things that make things easy. So that you, you, the kid, the person, build character, build, or yeah, build character, or yeah, yeah, right? through, yeah, through hardship, yeah. right? Right. Um, uh, uh, another example maybe would be the you know uh, taking the kid and just chucking him in the deep end of the pool. Right? You're gonna learn how to swim through through terror, and and you know having to fight for life or death or whatever, and then you'll figure out how to swim. I mean, okay. So in all of these things, there is a continuum from exactly, yeah. You know, well, and, and I was trying to, I was leaning, but like, so the, there's a stereotype, and that some of that is bad. Uh, on the on the flip side, there's a stereotype with like the really spoiled kid whose family has like the nanny that picks up everything, and they got you know takeout food every night for dinner, and they have you know the lawn care service that comes out and you know makes the makes the you know there's no chores for the kid and like they get like a new car when they're 16 and there's so there's like a very like sorry sort of stereotype of a very soft spoiled child which is also yeah. bad so you can you can you can sort of go both ways and you know society will sort of look down on on people who are spent a lot of money to not have to do a lot to circumvent and, a lot and, they, and then they they they're seen as soft and fragile stereotypically and then there's like the people who um could have done that but like on sort of on purpose went through all these trials and have become hard there's a glorification of the i didn't have the option to be soft yeah you know like i i you know was a 
El Salvadorian immigrant and I swam across the river and we lived in poverty and I pulled myself out of my bootstraps. And so like in, at least in the United States, there is a glorification of the strength through hardship because of no other option. So if, if it, if you have the option to, to make life easy and you don't, you're a tyrant. If you have the option to make life easy and you do, you're soft and spoiled. If you don't have the option to make life easy and life was hard, then you're, you're like, that's the American dream. So it's this, it's this very kind of delicate balance depending on your circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So I want to bring up two other psychology concepts that I think are at play here. Um, so one is just, you know, I, you know, I talk a lot about self-stories, right? And self-stories drive behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a part, some of this is self-story, Guthrie. Mm-hmm. It's like, and some of it is rationalization, right? So, you know, you can have someone who didn't have a lot of advantages and had a difficult life and had to work really hard and had to do it all themselves. And, you know, uh, you can come out of that with the self story about how unfair it is, and I'm a victim, and and you know it's just not fair. And if I if I had had a chance, I could have done great things, but I I'm not one of those people. You know, people have been beating up on me, and I mean, you know, I've been tr- downtrodden and beaten down, and that's why I am the way I am. Right? That's one mm-hmm. self story. Mm-hmm. You know. On the other hand, you can have this person who had the same circumstances, but their self-story is, you know, this makes me strong, this makes me resilient, this makes, you know, I'm going to rise above it, you know, and and become a hero and all of that, right? And so I think part of it is just, you know, the version of the story that you decide to tell yourself and others and the version you decide to live. And I, I, you know... that isn't always true. I mean, if it gets bad enough, yeah, you can't overcome that. You know, you never overcome that. And, and you were a victim. I mean, that, you know, that's the reality too. But so, but some of it, if it's borderline, some of it is self-story. But the other thing I want to talk about is something to do about, I want to talk about the psychology because you know some of this because some of it has a behavioral economics root uh, background, which is, um, you know, when we work hard for something, we value it more. If we had to put a lot of time and energy and blood and sweat and tears and work hard at it, sometimes it means that that thing, that skill, that material thing we earned or what that, that lesson or whatever it is, um, you know, we value it more. So there yeah. is a whole thing of, you know, the, and this is part of the whole, part of the whole uh, problem or issue with uh, um, hazing. And, you know, it's like, I, I you know, this organization, that whether it's a, a, a fraternity, whether it's the military, you know, whatever it is, you know, I mean, I, I went through the Marine Corps training. I didn't. But, you know, if I did, right, if I could say that, it's like, and it was really, really hard, you know, and it's only, it's an exclusive group. 
not everybody can make it, you know, and, and I did all these really, really tough things. And then maybe I value it a whole lot because it was so hard. I mean, we know people value something when it was difficult to get or attain. Right. Um, and if someone just hands it to you, then maybe you don't value it as much. So that's a human thing we know that people, and, you know, is it rationalization? I don't know. But we do know if people work hard at something, you know, it, it, it they value it more. And the other thing that I think comes in here, if you recall, we've talked, I think we maybe even talked on one of our podcast episodes about fluency versus disfluency, um, which comes from... Um, Connor. 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 What's it? Connor something demon. What's the middle? No, no it's Con- demon. Demon. Connor, Connor demon. Yeoman. Yeah. Who did the correctly. research and talks about fluency and disfluency. And the idea being that if you think something is easy, which is fluency means ease. Yeah. Uh, then you don't work as hard. If you think something is going to be difficult, disfluency then you kind of go on alert and you go, oh, wait a minute, this might be tough. I might have to work more to learn this or do this. And so what happens is you do work harder and you do pay attention and you, and, and so on. And so actually you end up being better at it or learning it better or remembering it longer because your whole system to thinking got yeah. kicked in and you paid more attention and you worked harder. So, you know, uh, that goes along with it too. So uh, there is, there is therefore, something to be said for things to not always be easy and to have to put in effort. And if you do, chances are two things are going to happen. You Three things. You're going to learn it better. Well, two. You're going to learn it better <laughs> or become better at it. That's number one. And the other thing is you're probably going to value it more. Now, up to a limit, right? I mean, right. if it becomes too, too hard, then it just goes into, you know, uh, punishment or whatever and, and resentment. And, you know, then I, I don't appreciate it. It was too much. So, there, you know, it is a, it is a continuum. Um, you know, there's a whole, uh, I don't know if you know, in some cultures, uh, and I think, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. It might be in Japan, but it might be in China. So I don't know. There are some cultures where part of the learning experience in school is what we in the U.S. would consider humiliation, but they don't consider it that. So it's very common, for instance, uh, to call on a student uh, to do uh, like a mathematical problem on the board, uh, knowing that it is likely beyond their capability, right? And so they go up to the front and they try to do it and they fail. And that's considered a really valuable educational tool. And mm-hmm. then they sit down and the whole rest of the class kind of has to explain to them how bad that is and why they failed, you know, and it's like in, in the U S it would be like, if you did that, like in a classroom of eight year olds or 10 year olds, you know, 
it would be like, why are they doing that? That's such a terrible teaching method. How could they have humiliated my child and all of that? And and in whatever culture this is that I can't remember, uh, it's considered like a wonderful educational tool because uh, I don't know why. <laughs> um, well, if, if, if I'm going if to play the devil's advocate, yeah. you will fail in your career. You will yes, fail when you ask you someone out on a date. You will Thank fail you. when you're on a project and it doesn't right. go it well. It's not going to go well. And so you have to learn how to take criticism and ideas from others. You have to learn how to deal with the failure. You have to learn how to come back from the failure and so how on. To sh- so how on. to like shake it off. Yeah. So that they think that's, in that culture, they think that's really important and that's what all students need to learn. And, and you know, I think of over in the here in the U.S. Some people believe that, but I think there's a lot of a lot of people that think no, that's not, that. You know, the children especially must always be made to to feel good, and you know that's part of that whole. Uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of um, there's a fair number of people that are dismissive of. I guess it would be considered millennials. I don't know. You know, they'll they'll scoff at the idea of, you know, well, you don't get, you don't get a prize for showing up, right? This idea that there's a whole generation of kids that grew up where, you know, as long as they showed up and tried, that was wonderful. And they were, you know, they were told how wonderful, wonderful they were. And there are older people who are like, that's ridiculous. You know, showing up and trying is nothing, you know, if you Uh, didn't achieve it, you didn't achieve it. Participation trophies is there the you go. phrase yeah. that you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, maybe that's maybe participation is fine, but um, there's a divide uh, among generations. Of, I don't even know that it's, you know, is it real that the, there really is a whole generation of people so who learned with participation. Here, here's my understanding as a very rough understanding. And so yeah. call it sophomoric at my own peril okay. is that there was a group of parents in the late gen Xers, the, the young, sorry, the young gen Xers into okay. the elder millennials okay. who um, completed, I guess if you would want to say, uh, the movement that began in the forties of not like beating the crap out of your kids. So there used to be a very much like kids need to learn structure and you should beat them. And then it was, I don't don't think, I don't think the switch goes back that far. I think it goes back to like the sixties and seventies when that switch occurred. Uh, I disagree because you should look at the publication of Dr. Spock's book. The first one, that was because that was when it really took off. Um, so let's 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 make sure I'm right. Uh, let's fact check uh, this. Um, the uh, common sense book of baby and child care became a bestseller, and it came out in 1946. And you're saying Spock is of the. Let's be nice and not beat the crap out of them. Yes, and that 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 was I would say he was the beginning of sort of that movement, and there were many others that sort of t- t- towed a similar line. But it was you know, and and you could you know get into the weeds, and I don't want to get into the weeds because some people are like, well, he actually said like, don't 
it's it's like it's like be firm but like not mean and but it doesn't really matter the point is is that since the 40s um people became a lot parents became a lot nicer to their children Mm -hmm. and let their children uh feel that they were supported Mm -hmm. and comforted Mm -hmm. and i think um what uh, i think the peak of that happened with the elder Gen Xers and sorry, the yeah. the, the young Gen Xers and the uh, later millennials. Okay. Um, and that I think there was maybe a ten year period uh, where that was just. Um, I don't want to say taken to an extreme, but I. Th- no, each, I think you could say ten year period was was the people were more nice and more supportive and less. Less strict. Uh, less mean to their yeah. kids. And mean, yeah. you can be mean in a negative context, but you can also be mean in a firm context, right? Yes. Like like you did something bad, right. you're going to get and punished. There Not are consequences. corporal yeah. punishment, but like, right? Like grounded yeah. in timeouts yeah, and yeah. know this and yeah. a more strict household. Um, I have heard from talking to teachers, as you may have heard as well, that uh, a lot of the kids, uh, you know, people who've been taught for 30 years, uh, really, the idea that, like, the teachers feel that they can't say no to the kids. Yeah. And the kids run everything. Yeah. They run the house. They run the show. They run this. I think that hit, hit a nadir, and then there was the younger millennials who are, I don't know, I guess having kids now yeah. are starting to, the pendulum is swinging back swinging a little bit yeah. where they're like, yeah, all these, all these Gen X parents and elder millennials, they were super soft with their kids yeah. and they let them, they bought them like 10 trillion toys and let them run the house yeah. And let them think that everything they did was super important and special constantly. Yeah. And, you know, what the kids need is they need caring parents, but with like structure. So yeah. I'm not saying that that's the majority. I'm not, I don't know. It's just beyond what I'm an expert in. Uh, but I do think that maybe the pendulum is swinging back a little, a little bit, or maybe a lot bit. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, but just, you know, kind of take that. Yeah, as a, as a grain of salt. Um, do you want to do you want to do you want to do our pivot? Yeah. So let's let's pivot now and and talk about the second question here, which is so let's talk about users, um, because we've been talking about humans and that's fine, yeah. right? It's one thing to you know go you know like uh, the, you know have a have an ordeal that was really hard and challenging, but then on the other side you've learned a lot of skills and you know yep. maybe and if with enough time you'll look back in fondness on it if it wasn't too traumatic uh i think a lot of people have, have had that experience of yeah it was that was really tough when i was you know working out on the football team yep. and th- those two-day practices oh, on the sun it was so brutal but man those were the, the like those what, were what the days fun, what yeah. fun we had you yeah. know and so, yeah. so you can you know as long as it's not you know too traumatic like a lot right. of people can get to nostalgia um, right through of what was at the time difficult difficult maybe even misery in in Mm -hmm. the moment if anyone's Mm -hmm. been through like a really hard you know sports practice like it is not Mm -hmm. it's not fun um 
So, but let's talk about users. Uh, yeah. There is... Because uh, we have analogies. There's a, va a value in taking unsophisticated users and giving them skills, training them in the ways of the software and making them more sophisticated users that understand what they're actually doing, that understand how the software works, that, that, are, that, that, and that, that are turning them from novices into at least moderates, maybe not professionals, but, but they're learning skills that are making them better and it makes uh, the, the software they're using more valuable to them because they understand the, all the nuances that are going on behind the scenes. Um, but that takes work. And then there's the, there's the idea that we should make life as simple for users as is possible. Um, and that they shouldn't have to learn how the software works. It should be intuitive and they should be able to just use it and get to where they want to go. Oh man, is... This, you, is, this is a loaded. This is a loaded okay, topic, all right. and I okay, have well strong then, opinions on okay, this. Okay, so this is gonna. We're gonna have to part two it then. No, 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 no. I can do it really quickly. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you can. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. I have real definite feelings about this. Okay. okay. You, 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 uh, you go. You monologue. Uh, first of all, we're going to go back to what we said before. It depends on what your goals are first. You know, so what's important? Are you trying to create something, a tool, software, technology? Is the goal that people be able to do this thing as easily and quickly as possible? You know, then you've got to design it to be as you said, intuitive and easy to learn and easy to use. Um, the problem I see with what you just said is, first of all, I think it is a super handy excuse. Super handy excuse. Uh, oh, we don't have to make this easy to use because it's good for the user to struggle through it and learn it. And we it wasn't easy to create it. We worked really hard to create this complicated structure that really doesn't make sense to people who need to use it. But, hey, if we share with people the complicated structure of the whole model and they finally master it, how wonderful will that be? And then they're going to be able to more easily use the next piece to this software, the 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 companion, you know. Uh, so they they don't not just going to use Premiere; they're also going to use, you know, the the media and media encoder and Photoshop and 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 those are equally hard and maybe maybe work according to the same structure, although they don't really, but let's say they did. And so it'll be worth this investment of time because, you know, they'll be smarter and they'll be able to use all the other badly designed software that we have created. So I think I, I don't, <laughs> you know, I'm like, uh, 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 you know, it, let me give you, let me give you uh, a, a hypo though. Okay. Go okay. ahead. So let's look at professional software. Let's stick with Adobe. Okay. Um, I don't know if you are aware, 
but if you, uh, uh, Adobe has a lot of stuff where you click a button and it applies some default settings. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. Say you're smoothing a, a raster image and a curve. There's, um, you can just click it and it'll do some preset settings. So yeah. for the novice, yeah. you click it and then you just kind of do it and it's yep. kind of good, but maybe yep. it's not exactly what you want. Yeah. Um, or for example, I ran into this recently. Uh, I had a I had a rasterized image, uh, and it was I had too many points. Yep. Uh, you know I had you know fifteen thousand points, yep. and we needed to get down to three thousand points. Yeah. And so there's a there's a simplifier that you can use that eh, these two points are right. basically the same. Yep. We'll turn this into one point. Yep. Um, <clears throat> and but if you just click on it. We could not get the results that we needed, right? And so um, you had to go in and. So, but if you click on like the in the window, then, right. then you, it opens the, it the up, and then up you and have has all the, the seven, detail and you know right. criteria, and you That's can right. fiddle with the sliders. So, from a design perspective, right? On one hand, just clicking the button and doing it for the user is more seamless. They don't understand what's going on behind the scenes. On the, however they're going to be like, oh, this doesn't look good. And they may get frustrated with it. Whereas if they actually were forced every time before they did it to select the settings, and maybe they come with you know defaults, but uh, in fact, many, many times, most of the Adobe things come with like default one, two, three, like, you know, small, medium, large. And then, you you know, you can see how the sliders adjust. It, once you can see the way the knobs work, then you have a better, better understanding of, okay, this is what I need to do to get this result I want. Right. I understand that. And there's lots of examples like this. I mean, you and I have both used the um, Ableton music software and, you know, there's, there's similar analogies in there. There's things in Ableton where you, oh, just apply the, just apply this, you know, and it does. But if that's not what you want, you know, if you, if you want a deeper level of, of control, you can actually go in and and you know change minute parts of the setting. So, but to say, you know, I think the analogy or the what you're saying here is, oh, let's strip out that automatic level for the people who don't, you know, let's just strip it out. So if you want to make any changes whatsoever to this, then you must learn go into the detailed thing and you must learn it. So. I mean, it it depends, again, you know, what 80% of the people need to do 80% of the time. And mm-hmm. if you're, if you're going to say that, hey, you know, for a lot of people, maybe not 80, but 60, 70% of the people, most of the time, if they just do the quick thing, it's going to do what they want. And then there's the situations and or the people where it's not going to, and we want them to to use the use the uh, interaction that gives them more control. So, you know, I would, I think that's why I said you have to know the goal. You have to know what is it people are trying to do and what they're trying to do most of the time. And then you have to design for that. And I would not, you know, if you say, no, we're not going to do the easy path for any of this for anybody because it's really much better for them to learn and to understand what they're doing and you know it's like okay but is that you know maybe that's okay but is that what you know most be- if most people most of the time need to go to the detail level then don't give them the easy route 
give them the detail level because that's what most people are going to need to do. But to just say, oh no, we're going to make everybody go the more difficult and laborious route because it's good for them. And then they'll really understand what they're doing. I don't know. I don't know if that's, and, and the other, the, what I was saying before, the objection I had before was, I think it goes beyond that. It could, if, if the only discussion was, do we make doing this thing easy, but they don't have all the controls, or do we make them learn how to really do it in detail? You know, that would be, that's an interesting question you can talk about. But what I was saying before was, I think this whole thing is an excuse for poor design. I think there are definitely, you know, situations where people pretend they're doing it because they want to give the user a lot of control. But their design for giving the user a lot of control is pretty unusable. And and instead of addressing the usability issues, they just, you know, say, well, no, no, no. It's all, see, if you just understood why we designed it this way, then you'd be able to use it. It's like, I don't, I don't want to understand why you designed it this way. Like that's, <laughs> I don't, I don't care. You know, I, I don't need, I don't want to learn programming. You know, that's, that's for sure. So I think it, I think you have to be careful or it just becomes a reason for having poor design. And, you know, I think this is right now quite, quite, uh, What's the word? Is it endemic? What does endemic mean? That's sure. That's what the, that's. It the, means it's happening right. a lot, right? Um, however, because, yeah, because I, I think there's this whole thing about. Oh yeah, I, I, I. All right, wait a minute. And then the other thing you have to realize is there's this whole thing where if I have mastered the poor interface and all the difficulties with hard to use software, you know, well. I, it was hard and I learned it. So I value it. So I'm better than you, you know, you poor person that, that young, you know, they, you don't know how to use technology. Oh my God. And it's only because some people just put up with poor design and somehow feel superior for putting up with poor design. Yeah. I don't buy it. I'm sorry, you were trying to say something. I no, that was that was fine. I was I was just saying like on the flip side, um it you are it it does involve users mental models about what software is supposed to be. And so there's a lot of people who walk into software expecting to click one button and it all just works and they have high expectations of software and th- a lot of companies have tried to duplicate the Apple's magic, like, quote, it just works. And so it looks like it it just works, and then it doesn't work. And I feel like a lot mm-hmm. of the software that we have today is people trying to be Apple and have very easy, intuitive, oh, it's magic, you just click it, and then everything is simple. And the the interface is that it's, simple and you don't have to do anything and it just works. And then the experience is that, no, it's actually complicated and it doesn't just work and there's all these problems. Whereas if the interface was more complex to begin with, if the user 
had the mental model of this is sort of complex software, here are all the options, here are the parameters, here's where things go wrong, then actually it would be easier to trouble troubleshoot because you would, un, you know, the, well, it's you a wouldn't have the expectation that it's, oh yeah, also, it, should, it should just right. work. This is also the disfluency and fluency. If I come up against a new piece of software and I look at it and it looks a little complicated, then I go, whoa, I better, I better really pay attention here. This is not just going to be a one-click thing, right? And so there's, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I, I just, I mean, Guthrie, for, I do this for a living. Every day I'm looking at interfaces that people are creating and I, you know, I, I can't, I just don't know how to express to you, except you know I do because I do it all the time and you've heard this. Um, there is absolutely a tendency out there in the world and, and the, the software is complicated. It is complicated, but there's this overcomplication. There's an either an unwillingness or just a lack of knowledge that there's a way of designing this interface that that would make things easier for the humans to grasp the conceptual model. But you know the and we we did a whole series right on conceptual models. The, yeah. But but the conceptual model is poorly devised, and then the the interaction design that's coming out of it. Uh, and the and the user interfaces coming out of it is there is also poorly designed. So now you have a confused conceptual model that isn't clearly conveyed, and the whole thing becomes a big mess. And then the excuse is, well, it's complicated software, and you know it's going to be complicated for them to learn. It's like, okay, I understand that, but you have just increased the complication by not paying attention to conceptual model design and not designing a good interface. So I, I, I don't want this to become an excuse. Now, the other place where this comes into play, by the way, is, is the design of games. Now, and that is, that's an interesting place for this too, because, you know, the whole part of, I, I think, and I'm not a game designer, but I think part of what goes on in, in game design is that there is an enjoyment and a sense of accomplishment of improving your skills in some games, right? Yeah. And that that should be built in. So, you know, I, I always joke around by saying, oh, I've designed this wonderful game. You're going to love it. You don't have to think. You don't have to remember anything. You don't have to really find anything on the screen, and you don't have to do anything physically. Yeah. You know, it's great. And it's like, what? It sounds incredibly boring. Because games are about games are about making things purposely tricky and difficult. I mean, that's right. what makes a game interesting. So I mm -hmm. think that is a, uh, you know, that is a, is a different, realm. So if you're a game designer, you are building in, you are building in difficulty on purpose and carefully and hoping, you know, that people will stay engaged and want to keep getting better at it. But I do not think that my customer relationship management software should be based on progressively getting more difficult so that my, 
my skill level has to level up. Um, now, however, let me let me just give you one quick counter before we end. Okay, what? Uh, I grew up as a kid using poorly designed, difficult software mm-hmm. that was not intuitive. That was mm-hmm. had too many features. Playing video games like from the '90s that <laughs> just were like, here's like a menu of 17 yeah, right. options or whatever. Right. Like it just made no sense at all. Uh, the whole thing was a was a giant mess, right? And I figured it out. And I spent years kind of getting a sense of how to operate this stuff. And now I'm tech support for everyone because of my years in the trenches with terrible (laughs) interfaces and terrible software that were hard to navigate. And so when I come across anything, I can figure it out because of the, you know, I'm very adaptable because I wasn't just given Apple magic my entire life and here, click the button and it just works. So, so I, so I am better at troubleshooting and better at learning software and better at being a user in a lot of ways. And I help everyone in my life to navigate through everything. And a lot of that's because of the garbage that I slog through for years. I know. All right. Well, so you want, so we should just design it so it's all garbage and everybody has to do that. It's possible. <laughs> I don't, you know, That's I don't know. That's one way to think about it. I don't know, right? You, you, you trying to short term or long term? You know, I, I don't I, know. I'm not I, sure. I think it's a good question. And uh, everyone um, in your life, including me, really appreciates that that's, that's the role <laughs> you play. I know you sometimes get very frustrated with that role because uh, there's too many people that need too much. Uh, Guthrie personal tech support. Shout out to Sim Island, <laughs> which which is just one of the no Sim Isle, uh, one, one of, of the, the many places where you learned a really a really kind of not very good interface <laughs> that didn't make a whole lot of sense. But you but know what taught you those skills you taught now employ every day that we had to, to figure <laughs> so out. So it yeah. gave you resiliency. So let's hear it for, so our new thing should be Guthrie. In fact, we should have a workshop, you know, how did, how to do poor interface design in order to build resiliency in your user um, population. So one of the things I do regret with like now that like back in the day, there were, there were a lot less rules, right? Yeah. And with fewer rules, there are interfaces back, you know, I'm looking at the interface for Simile. No one would ever do this today. I know. It, like it is a totally unique way of yeah. just yeah, doing yeah, yeah, things yeah. and yeah. showing information. And I, I do think that we have a lack of diversity that in, is in ideas in, in, in that is causing uh, a yeah. sort of a, a UX monoculture. And it's and it's you know I don't know. Back in the day, it was it was way more. Um, Anything goes. Anything goes. Yeah. And, and you got kind of uh, more diverse things yeah. that you had to respond to. So, yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to, maybe I have to get back and find some, uh, some emulated Sim Isle. I'll, I'll maybe pull this back <laughs> up. Guthrie, if uh, any, do we have any announcements we want to make? 
Um, and we should, we always forget, we should make these announcements at the beginning. But go ahead. <laughs> We'd say that every yeah, time and then we never do. All what right. do you want to um, announce? So uh, you, we've done a second edition of the 100 More Things book. Not the 100 Things, but the 100 More Things There's book. which was so your, much confusion well, about this. Well, it's also double confusing. Well, oh, look, okay. I'm going to spell, spell it out for everyone. You wrote a book called 100 Things Every Designer Needs to Know About People. Yes, I did. Then you wrote a book called 100 More Things Every Designer Which Needs to Know About People. Which nobody's ever heard of that no second one. one read because no one read because they didn't understand book. how is that 100 more. Yes. Then it's it's been a decade and they are popular books. So you went back and you made a second edition of, of the original things 100 things, things book. book. So there's a second edition through yes. the publisher of the 100 Things Every Designer Needs to Know About yes. People. We have just finished the... Second, Second edition, edition of the hundred more things. things so, every, and so I'm telling you, two hundred. The mental model, conceptual model for this is a disaster. I just put an announcement out on LinkedIn about the second edition of the hundred more things, and I tried to explain, and no one can get this. They think the a hundred more things is the is second, second edition, edition of a hundred things. And yeah, they no, ask yeah. me, how is a hundred more things different from the hundred things? And it's and like, say, it's a hundred different things. More things. It's a hundred different things. It goes from 101 book. to 200. It's different things. And uh, nobody gets it. Yeah. Uh, so that is for sale on Amazon and Kindle. Yes. There's a Kindle version of and that. A hundred more around. things, second edition. It's different from a hundred. Yeah. So that is edition. that is out. Um, yes. uh, anyways, man, people can get in touch for other stuff. We're trying yeah. to reboot the newsletter as well. So if yeah. you're a fan, Look, you may, yeah. may you may. So start Guthrie, how do they reach us? Email info at the teamw.com. Thank you, Guthrie. All right. Bye. Bye.